Welcome to the Animation Industry Podcast. My name is Terry, and last year I dyed my hair blue, and now I kind of miss it. This chat is with Nico Colaleo, a very well-known animation editor who has worked on such shows as Star vs. the Forces of Evil, Randy Cunningham, Ninth Grade Ninja, and Pig, Goat, Banana, Cricket. You may also know him as the creator and director of Too Loud and more recently, Ollie and Scoops. And on top of this, he also runs CTN's Cartoon Crash Course, which brings in guests who teach on topics like writing for animation, voice acting, and character design. Now, in our chat, we're gonna deep dive into how to become an editor for animation, as well as how Nico brought his viral YouTube show, Ollie and Scoops, to life, including how he assembled the team, what it takes to put each episode together, and even how much it costs per episode, a question I have long asked and finally got the answer to. So if you've been wondering how to start a TV show from scratch on your own, Nico's gonna share exactly where to start. And now, without further ado, let's jump right in. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast today. I'm excited to chat. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm, uh, I've been meaning to talk to you for a while. I'm, you, you know, you're pretty busy during the quarantine. You've got a lot of projects going on. Can you tell me kind of what's, what's on your slate currently or upcoming? Yeah, well, first of all, sorry for taking this long to get to, to Oh get my to gosh, don't this. even apologize, please. This is like the third time we've had to, rec- we've had to schedule this. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, um, uh, Gosh, um, well, I'm working currently at Netflix Animation. I'm on. I'm uh, wrapping up on Kid Cosmic, which is Craig McCracken's next project, and um, and then also working on Ollie and Scoops, um, my animated series. Uh, we try to have an episode come out every every few months um, at the latest. Um, ultimately, try to get one out every other month, or sometimes even every month. Um, but it just depends on how long the episode is. The next episode is our longest, so of course it's going to take the longest. Um, uh, like how many next, how many minutes are you talking longest? Like twenty minutes? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Twenty minutes exactly. Right. Um, <clears throat> Eighteen to twenty minutes, and so hopefully it won't be out any longer than like April or May. Hopefully, no longer than that. Awesome. I mean, I, I specifically wanted to talk about Ollie and Scoops with you because I think what you're doing is so interesting to me and, and other people. And, it, you know, you're amassing a huge cult following, I guess. You've got nearly too many, two million views on YouTube. But I also want to talk about your career as an editor um, for animation and how you got into that. So maybe before we dive into those topics, can you kind of where did this all start off for you? What what made you realize that you could make it in the animation industry? Sure. Um, yeah. I, uh, well, I never went to school for animation. I, I went for, for film and live action. Uh, I took film classes, um, you know, screenwriting, lighting, field audio, stuff like that. Um, and we took, uh, oh yeah, cinematography. And uh, my friends and I, and my brother friends and I had a public access show where we grew up in Tucson, Arizona. So it was a, uh, it was like a sketch comedy show and um, it just involved lots and lots of just short videos and just making lots of short things. So um, it turned out to just be a really great source of experience for me, um, making all kinds of different genres and, and, you know, like kind of like a little crash course and in different short films and stuff like that. So that's basically where I learned editing and timing and, uh, I, I don't know. I, I wrote on them. So I wrote a lot. I acted in them. So I acted <laughs> and uh, it's kind of where we got our feet wet. Um, 
by the time I moved to Los Angeles in 2008, um, I was ready to, you know, be, I was done with high school, done with college, and I was ready to, to do uh, to do something like that um, for uh, for uh, professional work. And um, I just happened to, I think I just happened to know more people in animation, so I I landed in animation. Um, I always loved cartoons and I loved animation. And I, I always drew on the side and made up my own, you know, characters and cartoons and stuff on the side, but I never thought that I would be good enough to work in animation. And then it turns out that um, when it comes to editing, um, either editing for animation or editing for live action, it's the same programs. So um, when I learned to edit my short films, uh, I was also, I was also uh, learning how to edit in the same programs that, you know, Disney and Nickelodeon and, and all the animation studios work in. So, so well, when just, I, uh, just so a yeah, so I, I hired wanna... an animatic editor. I want to jump in. So, yeah. um, first of all, I think it's I think it's really cool that you you did so many shorts uh, and you studied at the same time. Do you think you learned more from just creating so many shorts uh, versus exactly. like studying cinematography and whatnot? I think so. Um, I think that you can read up and you know be lectured at and study all you want, but the best experience is just to put yourself out there and just make stuff. And I think that's what, you know, I, I, I of course had college classes and stuff where I, you know, there were lectures and I had, uh, I had books that I had to read up and about cinematography and the history of film and all that. And that's all great. Yeah. But, um, but also just forcing myself to, to, to make short films and uh, do content for our public access show is what, uh, gave me so much experience in just making stuff. Totally. I almost feel like sometimes I over bombard myself with kind of learning tech, like, like book studying versus like actually doing. And it's like, I get caught in this endless loop of learning forever and then being afraid to even start to yeah. like attempt something versus like, uh, at least in my experience, like with stop motion, I used to, I made like 60 short stop motions in a row. And that taught me more than I could ever learn from a book. But yeah. um, I'm wondering about this. The second question I had kind of was about your role as an editor. So how did you uh, go to like an interview? You said you fell into editing because you knew people in animation. If you had no experience um, in animation before your all your, all your, I guess your real and the demos that you could show were just in live action and say like, Look, I know these editing programs. You can you can trust me with animation, timing, and and storytelling as well. Well, it was it was starting off at a kind of a smaller studio. So um, my first job was at Titmouse, hmm. um, which which does a lot of the Adult Swim shows. Um, uh, you know, a, 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 I always called Titmouse the SNL of animation. It's a great place to get your feet wet and like get started. It's a fantastic place to get started. Um, and if you keep keep working there, that's great. But also, you know, it's a smaller studio, and um, I, I think that what they what the like the rawness that the studio had um, just really kind of uh, got me got me ready for the bigger studios. And I think it was just a good place to start off than say just starting right ahead at a giant Disney, you know. Um, 
but I got my first Titmouse job just by, uh, it was just by going to a friend's birthday party and a friend who was in animation and um, a Titmouse producer was there and we met each other and just kind of hit it off. And by the end of the night, I mentioned, you know, I was an editor and, you know, gave her, gave her my card after a night of just hanging out and, and uh, getting to know each other. And, and about a month and a half later, just out of nowhere, she remembered me and she emailed me and she said, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm on a show here at Titmouse that needs um, an editor. Um, and would you, would you come in? Initially it was just for a couple days of freelance because they weren't, because I was so green and I didn't know I, I hadn't done it professionally yet. So originally it was just a couple days of freelance. And um, when I came in just to do some, just some pretty, uh, uh, you know, normal, uh, it was like picking out circle takes for, for one of the first episodes of, of, of the show that I would eventually go on to. But um, I guess the show creators liked me in those couple days and they just said, do you want the editing gig? So um, that's, that's the, that's where the door opened for me. And, and I was on, uh, that was ninth grade ninja. The, 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 those, those was the first show I was on. And that is so random. It's like, happy birthday, friend. And then you, a month later, you're, you, the course yeah. of your life has changed. Everyone's <laughs> path is different. <laughs> Were you, okay, so obviously you had a card in your wallet ready. Were you actively trying to pick up editing gigs? And, you know, you started talking to this producer and then one thing led to another and you're, you're kind of like trying to promote yourself or was this kind of just a random coincidence? I, um, a little of both. I was, um, I, yes, I was definitely trying to, whenever I went places, even a friend's birthday party, I just always had cards on me because when I first moved out here, the name of the game was looking for industry work. And I mean, at first I had, uh, I, I, when I, when I, the first two years I was in Los Angeles, it was just restaurant jobs. Um, I worked retail, all these, you know, <laughs> normal jobs and then uh so so everywhere i went it was sort of like you know oh if i if there, if, there, if there happens to be people in the industry i'll you know try to put myself out there and meet as many people as i can and i mean i'm a canadian never been to la but it sounds like every person working in like a restaurant is like trying to make it in acting or video or animation or something yeah a lot of people are and you know, there's just so many restaurants. So, so being a being a server is a you know, it's it's kind of a ready job. Oh man, if I was a producer, I'd probably avoid avoid restaurants <laughs> unless I unless I needed somebody for freelance. Then I that would be I wouldn't I wouldn't put out a casting call. I just go and get some dinner. Yeah. So so tell me about editing. So you know, this has been your career for the past since since that one gig. Uh, give me some highlights and. How do you how do you like it? <laughs> do you ever think about going it. back to your old live action days? Yeah, I mean, I've thought about I've thought about um, not getting out of animation, but I've I've always thought like, oh, like if I if I were to ever, you know, leave animation and go into live action, how would I do it? And I I think my life is now just so planted in animation that I kind of have I kind of have no idea how I would get into live action. I would just have to. It might be like starting back at the at the beginning again, because it's a whole it's a whole different group of people and a big network that of people that I just 
don't know yet. Um, so uh, I, I just, I, I think, I don't know. I, I feel like I got a little lucky in that doing um, uh, editing for my short videos and stuff. Um, the fact that editing is just the same for animation and live action, it, I got kind of, I don't know. It, it, it was very fortunate yeah. <laughs> that, um, you know, it's the same editing programs for both fields. But well, who knows? Uh, maybe, maybe a month later at a different friend's birthday, you would have met a live action producer. Sure. Like, yeah. Who knows? You never know. <laughs> right? You never know. But I, I definitely feel you. Like I made a big career jump from business and animation. That's kind of why I started this podcast to really learn about the industry and meet people like yourself. Um, and it does, it very much feels like starting from scratch. Like I, I almost felt like I was like a, a, an infant all over again, learning a totally different industry with new people and trying to make like, you know, build up trust of who I am and my skills and everything. So I definitely feel you. Um, but I think it's interesting that you said that editing for animation and live action are much the same. Like, would you want to get it like into TV or, or, film like well i i I mean i am in tv now i'm in uh you know animation for tv uh i i think um i I would i would it's been you know uh, gosh i'm almost up on 10 years of uh being in animation and you know i mean honestly i i love it and and I, i i don't think i would just drop it and like say oh you know i think i'll go to live action now you know, if, if, if some if a live action project were to come along, sure, but um, I'm completely happy with where I am too. And you have a full slate. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. I can you imagine trying to make time to get into live action while still keeping? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that waiting. Uh, what you just said, you know, if a live action project came along, I always I always thought that about animation for myself when I was in business, but that never came. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I feel like. Uh, there are lucky people that happens to, but um, I don't know. Maybe you have to, if you want to do live action, you have to put yourself out there and, and change things up. But let's let's talk about editing. Like I haven't actually talked to an editor for animation on this podcast yet. And so from my perspective, like in school and everybody I've talked to, you know, there's the process of the directors and the producers work together with the writers. Then it goes to the storyboard team. Then it goes to, you know, layout and animation and then visual effects. And then it all gets composited uh editing happens at the end i'm assuming like i have an Uh, assumption of what an editor does but maybe you can just walk me through it yeah um editing happens at two different points um the editing that i do is for animatics and that goes right in between storyboards and animation ah um so when the storyboards are done um all the panels get sent to the animatic editor and what i do is i build the episode of whatever show i'm working on um, I'm pretty much building the skeleton of the episode of the show. Um, uh, it's taking all the voice actor records and timing out the show with the uh, storyboard panels. Um, and then once the um, overall radio play storyboard panels are built out, I'll do temp sound effects and music. And oh, wow. it's pretty much building the show and how it flows and how it feels um and then so so not uh, only are you doing cinematography but you're doing timing like narrative timing as well and and joke timing and you have to do all the all the audio sync and like sound effects 
Yeah, sometimes it's a couple different jobs. <laughs> oh man, that is that is that would keep me busy. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I, okay, so how much? How much? Uh, one of my questions I was going to ask you is how much control do you have over the narrative story and the timing and jokes? But it sounds like a lot, I guess. Yeah, um, I've, uh, I've 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 worked on shows where I'll build, I'll time out the episode, um, give it to the directors, and the directors have no notes, so all the timing is me. Wow. Um, uh, other times I'll time things out and then if it's a just a, a much more hands-on director or creator and they you know really have a very specific vision that they want um, they'll get back to me and they'll get back with very specific notes like um, I don't know in this scene make it four frames shorter in this scene make it uh, add one second we want a longer pause you know stuff like that does it feel when a director says no notes do you, like my instinct is like is it good enough like what no uh, notes? yeah yeah when when there's no notes sometimes it'll happen and uh i mean i don't think it's ever been like zero notes because that's their job is to give notes and to make it you know as good as it could possibly be so uh yeah i i um yeah <laughs> so, so what kind of so like I love telling stories, for instance, and kind of the the job marketed to people who love telling stories in animation is to become a storyboard artist. Um, but it kind of sounds like there could also, if you love telling stories, an editor for an animatic, because I'm assuming every show has an animatic, um, could also be an option. Can you can you kind of tell me the person that thrives in, in your role? Obviously it's you, but um, like what skills or like mentality do you have that really uh, this role like energizes you? I, I think um, what 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 this role what what I brought to this role and what what uh, I uh, sorry my cat's making noise. <laughs> I hope it's not being picked up. It's, a, it's fine. It's it's cute. It's okay. a little bit. Yeah. It's okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you can edit stuff out too. I'm not going to. Oh, okay. <laughs> I can I can send this to you and you can edit it because you're the you're the editor in this conversation. <laughs> but I try to do minimal editing for these. Yeah. Because I do it every week. So. <laughs> He's just making noise. I'm like, oh, I hope it doesn't play over my talking. Oh, it's fine. That's fine. Um, I'll I never think, forget uh, the one episode where I was talking with. Um, uh, Amber Paget, and she was outside, and somebody was um, trimming their hedges with a chainsaw beside her. <laughs> so was there that's, a that's in the, the worst one. The so this is nothing. <laughs> um, so I think, um, uh, yeah, getting back to it, I I, I think um, a lifetime of like <laughs> watching cartoons and just I think that's what developed my sense of timing. Mm -hmm. um, and that's kind of what I brought to um, the jobs that I worked on. Um, and that not just, you know, not just anybody can be an editor. Uh, I, I, you have to have a good sense of timing. And it's like, well, what does that mean? I was just going to ask you that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And um, it, it's kind of an anomaly. Like, I can't really explain it. But yeah. I know that just seriously, like a lifetime of just watching cartoons and 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 movies just kind of honed my timing skills i guess because um i don't know because i'll if something has 
bad timing or whatever, you know, I'll, if, if I'm watching it that way in the edit, my impulse is to fix it. Right. It's so like a, it's like um, a feeling that you have. Yeah. It's like it's something like is off. Like, oh, that doesn't feel right. Yeah. And I think that most people, even if people who aren't editors, you know, if something is has bad editing, you can probably tell. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, you know, um, or or you know, something might feel too long, and it's like, oh, you know, this could be cut out, or you know, oh, it doesn't need this. You know, I think yeah, if we got rid of this, it would play the exact same. It wouldn't matter if we cut this part out, or or you know what, this really needs something extra. Um, we're missing this. I think you need to cut to a close-up of this and tell the so the audience it's clear to the audience what what you're trying to pull off in this scene. So you will actually go back to maybe the storyboarding team and be like, "I need an extra scene here. Can you draw this for me?" That's what the directors and I will do. Yeah, the directors will kind of relay it for me. But um, if we're you know watching something, and that's so that's where storyboard provisionists come in, is that uh, once the uh, directors are watching my build of the, of the, uh, my edit of the show, uh, you know, if something is needed, if something is not drawn particularly correct or, um, or if we need something added, that's when they make a little list of notes for the um, storyboard revisionist to do. So I, I want to talk about Ollie and Scoops, but I, I'm still curious about this. Um, sure. So do you, do you actually draw anything yourself? Um, for Ollie and Scoops, um, I do, I, it's kind of like um, Matt Groening with The Simpsons. I'll do like an initial yeah. design of the character first off, and then I'll give it to my character designer, Natasha, and she'll make it like a hundred times better. <laughs> but in, in your editing role, like- Oh, and, oh, and editing for like um, other people's stuff, no. Uh, there's no, I, I don't do any drawing when it so, comes to- okay. So what I'm hearing is, cause like, so um, there's this, uh, I don't, I, I, I don't know how to put it, but there's like this thing that everybody says you need to be an amazing artist, an amazing animator to make it in the animation industry, whether it's storyboarding or, you know, whatever. But I guess what I'm hearing is you don't need to have any animation training. Like you don't need to go to animation school to make it as an editor and still work on right, like right. TV shows and the timing and the narrative story. And And I'm also assuming you didn't, have like professional writing experience um other than just lots of experience writing my own stuff right um, yeah uh, and i've just worked on i think just working on other people's shows over the years has helped me become a better storyteller um working on other people's shows and just seeing like you know just being a bystander and yeah. just seeing um stories get uh, uh you know evolve and get stuff added to them from you know draft one of the animatic until the shipping animatic, which is three or four versions later, where the story is kind of uh, all figured out and lines of dialogue are are changed or made clearer. Gotcha. Do you see people coming into editing roles uh, like nowadays who have um, come from like animation schools, or is it people from kind of like your background, uh, like film or uh, I don't know? other like how are people entering the editing world these days i've um uh, for a lot of the editors that i've worked with a lot of them are coming from film backgrounds hmm. that makes and sense. a lot of uh, quite a few people were already worked in film and then they transitioned over to animation 
maybe because there wasn't a lot of um, work at the time that they couldn't find. And then they just had animation friends that hooked them up with like a cartoon gig. But um, uh, yeah, I think um, at least the, the editors that I've worked with a lot came from a live action also like I did. Nice. I guess I have one last question about the, the, the professional editors. Sure, sure. Um, how many editors are there per show? It sounds like just one. So is it is it more of like a very niche role? Uh, there's um, there's usually it depends on the size of the show, but there's usually at least two editors, editors, okay. and um, sometimes three, and then sometimes there will be an assistant editor who does. Um, like exporting and um, a lot of the technical stuff that just takes a long time. Yeah. That, you know, we could be building and editing and doing sound effects and stuff. And, you know, their job is to scene number and export and stuff like that. So does that mean it's, I guess, more difficult to get into because it's more niche or does it, uh, I don't know, kind of the same to get into anything else because it is niche and not many people are. Like well, for animators, for instance, like in school right now, everybody wants to be an animator. I don't right. know a single person who wants to be an editor, for instance. Right, right. Um, I, I've, I, I've, I, I've. Uh, it's pretty cool. I've talked to classes and students and stuff, and I actually have met a few. Um, I, I, there's been quite a few people I've met that are like, I really want to edit. That sounds like fun. So um, uh, thankfully, you know, not everybody uh, uh, wants to. And there's tons of people who want to be a storyboard artist or designer, yeah. but I think it's a little more, um, <clears throat> it's a little more uh, balanced than that. But uh, um, cool. So, what, uh, oh, sorry. Sorry. Uh, I was going to add, um, uh, I've also, I, I've, uh, I've met a lot of editors that also come from, um, come from a, uh, like a like um what, what do you call it like a like a sitcom uh mm. uh and a lot of writers too that come from a sitcom background um i don't know what that i don't know what what it says about animation but a lot of the times writers will come in and it's like hey that's um they're from uh have they ever worked in cartoons before and it's like uh, or, or what cartoons have they worked on? It's like, oh, actually none. They're they're from a sitcom background that in live action, this is their first cartoon. It's like, huh. oh, interesting. But, you know, I, I kind of like that, that it's like there's sort of new people coming in all the time. Yeah. Well, maybe, you know, people are coming from sitcoms. Maybe there's an opportunity that down the road for you to, to go to a sitcom. Exactly. Knows? Yeah, yeah, maybe. <laughs> so, okay. Sorry, one, one last question that uh, sure. just from what you said is... Um, are you hired on as an editor for a specific show or do you work for a studio and then just edit whatever shows they're making? Is it like? Uh, uh, both has happened to me. Um, I've worked on, I've worked at studios where well, I'm currently at Netflix. And um, even though I'm wrapping up on Kid Cosmic, they have another project for me to roll on to. Gotcha. So thankfully, um, there's that other times in my career, I've worked at places where um, as soon as the show is done, they're like, well, um, thanks for thanks for working here. You know, we don't have anything else right now. And right. I have to move on uh, whether I want to or not. So um, yeah, both has happened to me. <laughs> nice, well, thank you for asking all of my technical Yeah, uh, of course. Professional <laughs> questions. But I do, I'm really excited to talk about all these scoops because- sure. Um, you, I think, are the only example that I can think of in my mind. I mean, as soon as I, I saw Alien Scoops, I had to reach out to you because I don't know of anybody else who's producing 
um, episodes to the extent that you are to have like a full animated show. I mean, um, I can think of other people who have like their own little kind of indie projects that are shorter in, in, um, shorter in length, but you, like you just said, you're making a 20 minute episode and there's a whole team. So uh, <laughs> I want to talk about Ollie and Scoops. Like, first of all, just for those who haven't seen it, um, can you give me kind of like a brief synopsis of what it's about and who's it for and if the cat is your own cat? <laughs> sure. Uh, Ollie and Scoops is um, initially I created it just for, I created the characters just for pitching, for pitching mm. to animation studios. Um, all the studios at the time seemed to want um, kid and uh, kid protagonists um, with, uh, you know, a goofy best friend or, you know, a best friend that was, you know, not, not, not dumb, but they wanted like a SpongeBob and a Patrick. Right. Um, uh, you know, two best friends, one's the more grounded one, one's the sillier one. Um, and if it's a human, it has to be a kid. That's just how kid animation works. Uh, so I was like, okay, you know, what are the two things that I like best about cartoons, cute girls and funny animals. <laughs> so I was like, okay, you know, nine-year-old girl and her pet cat. And then I just needed to think of what's the, what's the hook. Cause everything, every show needs a hook. And then I thought, what if, um, the little girl's the only person in the entire world that can talk to cats and communicate with them. And I was like, oh, so therefore, uh, she gets to see a whole bunch of uh, society and adventures that cats have that humans don't know about. Therefore, she gets to go to uh, uh, an underground cat society that cats have that humans don't know about. And it kind of just grew and grew and grew into like this lore that uh, she gets to see this whole side of cats that people don't know about. Um, so that's pretty much the, the premise. Ollie is the girl, Scoops is the cat, and um, they're best friends and they can understand and communicate with each other. And to everyone else, um, cats just meow like normal, but Ollie can hear them and understand them and know what right. they're saying and vice versa. So tell me what happened with this. So like you're an editor for kids shows at the time, you're literally creating what goes on TV. So you have like a firsthand knowledge of what an episode is like. You have mm -hmm. firsthand knowledge of what studios are wanting. You create this pitch. The hook sounds amazing. These, you know, mm -hmm. you've got cute characters. What happens? Um, I was working at Nickelodeon at the time and I pitched to Nick. And when you're working at a studio, um, you just have a, you just have a better advantage of pitching than yeah. someone just, you know, who doesn't work there and is just coming, coming right in off the street. Um, so um, they, uh, they really liked my pitch and they had, they said at the time they said they had no notes. They really liked it. And what didn't move it forward was just, there were, it was just the competition. It was just, there was just too many, too many um, things in development all at once. And they said, you know, come, come back with this, you know, in a couple of years from now, and we might have a different story for you. But as of right now, we just don't have room for it, yeah, but we do like it. So I pitched it to um, Nickelodeon and Cartoon Network, both said the same thing. Um, Cartoon Network also said they're more of a boys channel, so um, they're they're kind of still finicky about a girl protagonist. Um, and then I pitched also to Netflix, and um, at the time they said we really like this. We unfortunately already have a show in development about a little girl and her pet, which turned out to be Hilda. 
but um, but it's okay. Uh, <laughs> I was like, why can't you have two shows about girls? But right. whatever, it's fine. Um, uh, so after a few years of pitching it and um, it kind of not going anywhere, I was sort of like, I was in, in the market for working on something new because my previous uh, show, Too Loud for DreamWorks TV, it had just ended. And that, that took a couple years of uh, working on. As soon as that ended, I was, uh, I was like, well, I need something to work on. Otherwise I'll go crazy. So, you know what, like I've been working for a lot of years now. I have a lot saved up. I have a crew because of my DreamWorks TV show. Um, I already have the artists and we, are, we work together and we, I know who worked, who worked out and who didn't. And, you know, each person is good at their own at the, each uh, step of the uh, animation process. So if I have the crew and I have the money, let's just make this. Like, why do I even, I don't even need a studio. Um, so it was just a lot of sick of waiting for studios and just said, I just figured let's just make it. So we did. And um, the, the initial idea was to make three episodes and shop them around. Um, and then once we got past three episodes, I was like, this is too much fun. I don't want to stop here. So we just kept making episodes. And um, I don't know, right now, the sky's the limit, I feel. And uh, just, you know, if I can keep making them, then keep making them. Why not? That's awesome. So, I mean, your experience on Too Loud, which is, uh, I guess we we glossed over your professional experience. Yeah, that's de that's definitely an important stepping stone yeah. for Ollie and Scoops. Uh, um, so how is, I guess, Ollie and Scoops, you have complete creative and, well, not maybe not financial freedom, it's your own finances. But yeah. is, is there like a, a huge difference from working on Too Loud as the kind of the creator versus Ollie and Scoops as the creator? Yeah, the only the only real difference was that um, Too Loud had a producer that we had to run everything by mm. and get, you know, we had to be open to um, accepting notes and stuff like that from from her. Um, but Ollie and Scoops, yeah, I'm I'm the producer. So, you right. know, it, 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 as, as soon as I say this is good, execute it Done. and we do it. Was was the, that's, pitch, the main, uh, that's the main difference. Was the pitching process for Too Loud similar to what you described for Ollie and Scoops, where you created something you thought was uh, studios were looking for, and then and then shopped it around? Yep. Yeah, I I, I uh, came up with Too Loud specifically for DreamWorks TV because uh, um, uh, they approached me asking me to pitch for their YouTube channel. Oh, nice. How a, does that happen? Yeah, yeah, I was just uh, my 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 friend. Hey, this is this is DreamWorks. <laughs> yeah, my friend's you... wife worked at um, it was Awesomeness TV. That was the branch of their of the DreamWorks YouTube channel. Now I believe it's Peacock TV. Peacock Kids. Peacock mm -hmm. Kids. It's changed over the last couple of years since Too Loud ended. Um, thankfully, Too Loud is still up there, but uh, their whole channel changed now, and it's not even about animation anymore. <laughs> so I did Too Loud at the perfect time because if I waited, if we waited one year or two years, I, they, they wouldn't have wanted it probably. Yeah. Um, um, oh, sorry. Yeah. But uh, they, um, yeah, my, my friend's wife uh, uh, was um, a producer at Awesomeness TV. So uh, <clears throat> that's, that's why she reached out to me because uh, she reached out to me and a, and a few of our mutual friends just uh, wanting to, you know, see, see what, small small and simple was the key because these are uh, these are for the dreamworks youtube channel they're five minutes they're for kids so like super simple 
So I came up with three really simple kid ideas. My third one was too loud. It's, too, it's a brother and a sister, a teenage brother and sister, and they work at the library, but they have the they're the two people in the world with the two biggest heads and yeah. mouths and faces and they're super loud and they work in a library. Ha ha. You know, but that's a, you know, good, good kid. I good kid show idea. That's right. super simple. Right. <laughs> um, they liked, I, I, uh, I pitched three ideas too loud was the third one and they liked it too loud. So they bought it. I like how straightforward um, your, your pitching ideas are like, you know, <laughs> I, I have, like I'm pitching around right now myself. And I also have some ideas in the back of my head where it's like this super complex world with <laughs> cool like fantasy lore and the characters are there's yeah. a billion of them and they're all, and it's like, what is this show? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, it, no, that's good it's to Lord have of the Rings, lore basically. and everything. I say start off simple, start off <laughs> with just, you know, your two characters and a simple hook and, and, and just say, you know, what's, what's a one sentence synopsis that can describe the show. Once you have the show and you're making it, then you can get into the lore and stuff. Cause even though too loud starts off simple, there is lore to it. And there are yeah. characters that, you know, the uh, character will show up in season one and then they'll come back in season two and they've changed or like the, whatever Jeffrey and Sarah did, you know, altered the course of, of the story or the character. So, um, you know, I had season, I had tons of ideas for more, but we only got to do two seasons. Yeah. It's almost like what we were saying before, where it's like, you can get locked in studying versus doing. And I feel like that's true with creating sure. a show. Yeah. You get locked in the lore yeah. before it's even a, even a thing. And, and the way you described, uh, too loud and all in scoops and like one sentence, it's super clear to me what it's about. And it's just, you know, I feel like a good pitch is that, and let's whoever you're pitching to just imagine episodes on their own like if if the if the person receiving the pitch can't envision an episode or the conflict or whatever then i feel like it's not a it's not a good idea sure just yeah when when you're pitching the uh, the idea is to make it as clear as possible yeah um get into all the lore stuff later you know what i mean yeah. it can all still be there there's totally room for it but just um just think, uh, I don't want to say think small, but think simple when you're starting off. And that's, uh, at least for me, that's been really hard. Like I've been pitching uh, the Silly Duck Wizard and like to make it so clear what it's about is tough because somebody will be like, oh, but what about like, what about this thing? And it's, and then it just spans into complexity. <laughs> sure, sure. So well, that's the more a questions you ask about Ollie and Scoops, you know, the more yeah. complicated it gets. Like, so, wait, okay. is she the only person in the world who can talk to cats? And like, right. what what kind of things does she see when she goes to the, you know, secret cat world? And you know, who does she meet? And what what are cats like? And so that's what the the, the lore and all the numerous episodes are for. So, so with Ollie and Scoops, I mean, you've been uh, you've been running it on your own ever since you've been running it, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, what is uh, success to you? Because you know you you have been a creator for Too Loud. You've you're an editor for some amazing shows. You know big studios, and now you have this personal side project that you've decided is going to stay that. So, what is what is success for you? Is it to have the creative freedom? Is it to get a million views? Is it like what is it? I think um, I'm right where I want to be, except for I think the the next step for All In Scoops would be would ultimately be studio production hmm. just because 
we could make it so much bigger and so much better if we just had, you know, studio funding. And if, you know, just say I brought it to Netflix and pitched it and they bought it. Okay, right. great. You know, my crew and I can work, well, obviously not during a pandemic, but we can work Monday through Friday in the studio, uh, you know, working on this for a couple years and we can have the episodes a lot bigger, longer, um, you know, more, uh, the story is bigger. Um, we could get more, you know, uh, more voice actors in on it. Um, basically, just studio involvement means exactly what I'm doing right now, just bigger. Yeah, I'm actually wondering what is preventing a studio from buying it because you have, uh, you know, you have the professional level of, of uh, the production, you have a team, you know, you, you're the experienced creator, you have an audience already, like what is preventing a, a studio from saying, let's, let's buy this and make it bigger because it's already proven that it's successful sure. from maybe a, a numbers producing standpoint. That's a good question I, I, that I don't know the answer to. <laughs> but like a, um, are you still know. pitching it around, or is is it? Um... Well, um, I think uh, I, I. So my my plan was uh, to um, keep making all in scoops for now, but also since I work at Netflix, you know, I feel like I have an advantage <laughs> to um, pitching to them also. So uh, I've just been waiting for the pandemic to end because I really want to pitch to them in person in a old fashioned in an office in front of people. I just, um, that's just how I, I roll and, and I kind of don't really want to pitch over zoom. Yeah. So, um, that's, um, it's sort of just kind of a waiting game right now. I was about to pitch a year ago and then the pandemic happened. Um, and I, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know if you think I should keep waiting or, well, I, I mean, I personally like why, what is the benefit of waiting for the pandemic to be over to pitch in the room? Is it just a personal preference of pitching or do you think you will it's just have a personal that preference. much? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, the, so maybe what's stopping the show is, is you deciding to delay it then, I guess. I don't, I don't mean that I in guess. a bad way. <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I mean, I didn't originally who, who could tell that the pandemic would be a year long, a year. Oh, it's going to be longer than that. It's going to be longer than that too. So, I mean, originally, uh, yeah, I was originally it was like, okay, make three episodes of all in yeah. scoops and shop it around. Well, when the pandemic happened, I was like, okay, well, I'll just keep making episodes. You know, there's nothing wrong with just keep making episodes and get the, um, you know, subscriber and fan count higher and higher and higher. Cause it'll just look that much better when, mm. when I do pitch it. So, you know, instead of having three episodes and 10,000 subscribers to, sh to show next time I pitch to someone, uh, currently I have seven episodes and 30,000 subscribers. So I don't know, uh, it, it, it might be, I'm, I'm kind of trying to like weigh it out. Like, is it good to just keep making it on my own right now and just have it be even, you know, bigger and better once I pitch? Or should I just not wait for the pandemic to end and just pitch it? Like, I don't know. That's kind of what I've been mulling over lately. But uh, I mean, I, at the same time, I'm happy with things the way they are right now. And just, um, you know, making the show on my own, too, and having it be kind of being my own boss. There's also a really nice freedom to that. Right. And it's, I, I mean, what you just said there, you're happy making it your own. It's like, are you going to regret not? pitching it at a, an opportunity right. at Netflix next week that you miss yeah. out on for the net. Like, I guess that's what you have to think about, but I, I definitely, there's no, lose, there's no lose, lose situation yeah. here. So, so it's, and like having control over 
what you're doing is is amazing yeah (laughs) (laughs) you're not you're not like trying desperately to get an episode made and the only way is to get a producer at like netflix to to join you i guess what you're saying there will be only in scoops whether i successfully pitch or not right and then so then what success is for you is already kind of happening and i feel you with the with the pitching thing like i started pitching silly duck wizard right before the pandemic so i was going into studios and then the pandemic hit and everybody wanted to do it online and and honestly my experience is online has been so much uh easier because sure. like i don't have to travel anywhere i don't have to wait yeah. in a waiting room i don't have yeah. to like worry <laughs> if i'm sweating or like yeah. if technology <laughs> works or or like sometimes the you know the producer is going to be there and the the uh, co-producer is in another meeting but on zoom it's like everybody's there on time and it's like s- straight to the point um yeah. I and hear I, you. Yeah, and I feel you about those those views too. Like, what what is really going to matter? Ten thousand or thirty thousand? Like, I almost think, you know, once you've gotten ten thousand, that's extremely difficult on YouTube already. That's proof enough. But yeah, you know, more is better, I guess. But um, I don't know. I just keep keep making it because it, it's going awesome. And thanks. Yeah. If it's uh, you know, <laughs> who knows? It might get picked up. Somebody might knock on your door and say, we want this and sure. whatever. It's still getting made, right? <laughs> I think as long as it's just continuing to get made, everything is fine. Yeah. <laughs> I, I really like that because, you know, coming from the business world myself, it's so easy to get caught up in the numbers and business of things and and forget about why you're doing what you're doing. And that's, you know, facing that made me switch careers. And, and it's interesting to see, have that perspective already and and to you know steep myself in animation now and see how it can so just easily turn into the business of things all over again um and and for me sorry real quick for me i think also um working on other people's stuff is still something that i want part of my life um i'm about i'm finishing up on kid cosmic for craig mccracken i'm about to go on to story bots for netflix which is you know a really amazing yeah preschool empire um and um i've just gotten to meet and been working with the um uh storybot creators who were like our soulmates with me like we (laughs) really really hit it off and we're just like they want to just like make stuff with me outside of netflix and um are you talking about the the jib jab guys yeah yeah yeah. Um, we just really hit it off and I'm going to be their editor for their, the next incarnation of uh, StoryBots. But like, you know, without my, my point is without um, without working on other people, without with with keeping the um, working on other people's stuff, my day job, you know, I wouldn't have been able to I wouldn't have been able to meet them and yeah. go on to, or I wouldn't have been able to work on Craig McCracken's show. So it's like. I feel like that's still a part of my career that I want to be around is also working on other people's stuff for my day job because it just exposes me to a lot more, a lot of great people and, um, uh, you know, a, a, be a part of a lot more families and, uh, you know, you know, for like the Storybot families and the Craig McCracken family. And I just, you know, it gives me a chance to work with as many people and meet as many people as possible. Yeah, totally. I mean, I that's, that's important too. That's also like, obviously I'm not, oh, I'm still in school, but that's also something I really look forward to because in my past career, just by being 
in a company by default, you're exposed to all these great people and projects and opportunities yeah. that, you know, you might not ever get opportunity to otherwise. And also yeah. I'm really excited for you to work on the storyboards. I didn't know they were coming back with a, yeah. with a new season. That's I don't so think awesome. I've been I much, great but... things. I, I chatted with yeah. one of the stop motion animators on the first season. Cool. Of so he had a lot of good things to say. Um, <laughs> If you don't mind me asking, I am really curious about um, the producing slash financial information of um, producing your own show. Can I ask you about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what is it? So you're making a 20 minute episode right now. What is that? And and you said, you, you know, you hope it takes two months and you have a small team. I want to know how many people are involved in a team. Um, how much does it actually cost you to produce that episode, like how in reach is this for the average person who wants to produce something amazing like you are? Um, yeah, uh, it doesn't really um, matter on how, on the exact length of the episode. Mm -hmm. um, each episode is about the same, uh, uh, what do you call it? Um, budget? About the same budget, exactly. Um, it doesn't really matter if it's five minutes or 10 minutes um, uh, or, or plus. Uh, we have, let's see, two background designers. I have, uh, I'm the editor and uh, the writer and all that. Um, so we don't even really have to worry about me because I do like five five or six or seven different jobs. Um, I'm assuming but, you uh, don't pay yourself. And I don't pay myself, correct? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I am not, uh, I'm, uh, to anyone wondering, I am not making uh, a living on all in scoops. Right. Um, I'm doing it solely for the love of it and to, to make stuff and to get stuff out there. Gotcha. Um, yeah, uh, my team consists of uh, two background designers. Um, Natasha's my character designer. Um, I'm the initial character designer, but she, she draws, you know, basically what I draw and makes it a hundred times better. Um, uh, we have, it depends on the episode, but it ranges from seven animators to like 10 or 11. Oh, wow. Um, uh, and then each episode has two storyboard artists. Um, sometimes I will need one revisionist, depending on if the board artist can't do or doesn't have time to do um, revisions or my notes or whatever. And, um, and then the voice actors. I think that's it. So... Um, so at least know, 20 people, <laughs> at least 20 people, the, uh, you know, there's usually at least, at least six to 10 characters per episode. So that's six to 10 voice actors. Um, and, uh, and then people ask me, how do you get people like Kevin Conroy, like Batman, or like, how do you get people like Dana Snyder or Mara Wilson or Eric Bauza or Kimmy Robertson, you know, all these yeah seasoned actors to be in your show and I either well I, I was already I was friends with Eric Bauza who scoops um but you know I was friends with him since 2004 when he was like an anchor and a cleanup artist at um at uh, Six Point Harness and now in 2021 he's Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck he's like the voices of Bugs and Daffy and Tweety so it's just like incredible that's so cool yeah <laughs> Um, and then other people, I just ask them, um, I think having the show just get successful. And, you know, if I was, if I was making all in scoops and I had two subscribers and no crew and it was just me and the cartoons looked like crap, you know, maybe the voice actors wouldn't say yes, but I think, um, 
you know, once I reach out to a, someone I don't know and I'm like, hey, what I'm doing here is, uh, you know, this is all in scoops and blah, 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 blah. And I just tell them about it. And once they see it, they're like, you know, I think to them, they're like, okay, this is a legit operation, you know, and luckily I've, I've only had one no and I've only had one voice actor say no. Uh, I was going to say, I don't know, I don't know if I should mention who, but I'm going to mention who. It was Weird Al. It's fine. <laughs> I'm not upset or anything. <laughs> Wait, how did you even get in touch with Weird Al? <laughs> I just got in touch with his people. I didn't talk to him. How do you even get in touch with his people? Oh, my gosh. Um, so, okay. So, uh, I think that's incredible. And, and just... I'm also wondering how you got so many subscribers. Like, <laughs> so many questions. Gosh. So let's. let's... Um, uh, the subscribers is also uh, shocking to me, but it was just it's just making stuff, and just the more stuff you put out there, yeah. it finds its people, it finds its fans. So you didn't do any marketing or like algorithm. Besides things. my own Twitter, no. Just your own Twitter, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> besides my own Twitter, and then like, and then also I feel that having you know prolific people. Right. crew and voices in the show so like you know if if uh, mara wilson's gonna be in an episode you know she'll promote it and then all the mara wilson fans will watch all the scoops and then you know same thing with the all the other voice actors 100 percent um so, so sorry getting back to the finances question how much sure. so we we established there's 20 to 30 people working on one episode over a couple of months how much does that actually cost to produce and obviously usually usually um uh i'm gonna say 10 to fifteen thousand an episode okay yeah that's around what i was thinking so like i guess uh, no obviously you have um you know connections you have experience so like the the average person who has 10k saved in the bank is gonna have to do a lot of pickup to still find people to work with and, sure. and create yeah. a story and stuff but and that's that doesn't where, actually that's sound where, um too bad to produce i guess like um like like it's not wild the numbers aren't wild i guess so if you wanted to do like a, a kickstarter or gofundme or patreon or whatever do you think you could self-sustain this eventually um i i have a uh what is it called oh a gofundme but it's GoFundMe. not like it's not like um oh if we don't make the the uh, goal, you know, we're done for. It's not. It's nothing like that. The GoFundMe is more of like a tip jar, like, right. hey, if you like all in scoops, you know, get, throw us five bucks or whatever. But it's you know, the show's still going to go on whether or not the GoFundMe yeah make, makes money or anything. Totally, I, I totally, uh, I, I, I weigh that in my head sometimes because there's like things that I'm going to do regardless, and I'm like, do I want to? I'm going to yeah. do it regardless. <laughs> Why are people going to pay me to do it? the only um the only um kickstarter or anything like that that i was thinking of is if we um want decide to produce something bit, like i was thinking down the line um uh, publishing an all in scoops um book ah. an illustrated book and like so like kickstarter would be perfect for an all in yeah. scoops book which that i think makes... you know could happen in the next year or so that makes a lot of sense. I, okay, um, with All In Scoops, is there anything in the storytelling that you are doing that you couldn't do in your day job at like Netflix or whatnot that you are taking the liberty of because you have creative control over it? Uh, well, this also answers um, another question, which you said, who is it for? Yeah. Um, the um, All In Scoops is for everyone. I, I, I make it kid friendly, but it's it's really just meant to be, you can be any age and, and watch this and appreciate it. Um, I think, uh, 
the reason for that is when I came up with the pitch, it was for Nickelodeon. So it was designed to be a kid show. Um, and then when I decided to do it on my own, people were like, well, why don't you make it adult? Or why don't you make it, you know, what, what, why, why constrain yourself into that um, kid show mentality? Um, and I, I kind of just felt like, you know, some ideas are screaming to be adult, some ideas aren't. And All In Scoops just seemed to me like it could be for everyone and not, you know, not for just adults or, or whatever. Obviously there's like Vivian's has been hotel, which is like, you know, that totally needs to be rated R. <laughs> like every 10 year old I've talked to has seen it. <laughs> yeah, just by nature that needs to be rated R. But um, you know, All In Scoops is like, nah, it can be for everyone. It's fine. <laughs> you know what? I like that because it, it's like a studio would never do something that's for everyone. They have like a very specific sure, audience sure. they're I mean, trying to capture, right? Cartoon Network is very much like boys 8 to 12. Mm-hmm. Like that's great for them. But I, I, I you know, I, I kind of want to tell stories, more sto- stories to more people than boys 8 to 12. Cool. Um, um, do you have any other thoughts that you wanted to share on Ollie and Scoops? Um, uh, uh, I remember you asked, what did you ask a couple last things that were like, I'm trying to remember now, because um, I wanted to answer them. Oh, then, what, um, uh, one of them was other. like, well, I feel like you kind of answered it. One was, what is your dream for Ollie and Scoops or just your career in general? Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I think uh, keep doing Ollie and Scoops, but I wanted to every year I wanted to get bigger and bigger yeah. until hopefully we have studio funding and we're making it in a studio. That would be awesome. Um, um, until then I'm totally happy making it with my little crew, making it on our own. Um, and I know it's just going to get bigger because you know, that's how YouTube works is that your fans, your, your subscribers just, you know, they grow and um, the more prolific voice actors and stuff I have, you know, we'll, we'll get their fans watching too. And um, I'm again, really happy to be working with uh, the people I work with at Netflix and on, and uh, you know, working on other people's dreams and visions. That's still something that I think is important to have in, in my life. Um, you know, maybe by the time we, you know, all in scoops is ready for uh, uh, ready to, 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 be showrun by me in a big studio, um, you know, then I can stop working on, uh, obviously then I'll stop working on other people's stuff and I'll focus on my show, but uh, yeah. <laughs> so okay, maybe maybe this is one of the other questions you were thinking of, but it was, it was something along the lines of, um, you know, most, including myself, most people want to have their own show made. Uh, I feel like you just kind of gave a tiny crash course in how to do that, but I guess what is like, what does it take from a mentality standpoint to go to be like sitting on your couch watching tv shows and Mm -hmm. animation shows and go like i would love to do that to actually build up the confidence and say like this is what i'm going to do and then what is step one um if i okay so if i were to like okay if pretend like all in scoops isn't isn't a thing and if i was sitting on the couch right now watching tv watching cartoons and i was like i want to make that right now um, it does take time and money. I'm, I'm not going to lie. Um, it was, it was years of working at Titmouse and Nickelodeon and Disney TVA, um, uh, and just saving up 
that helped uh, me have the funds to do all in scoops. I see a lot of people online saying like, how does he, like, where does that money come from? Like, how does he get the money to do this? And it's just years of just saving up. Um, that's what it is really. It's not a <laughs> um, Tommy Wiseau leather jacket. Yeah. 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 <laughs> no. Yeah. I have actually have a, uh, denim jean factory in San Francisco <laughs> and I get like $10 million a year from that. It's pretty great. I honestly yeah, feel um, like if you came across $10 million and tried to make a show, it would probably not work out very well if you're starting from scratch. Like you, sure. like yeah, just, I, what you're I, telling I, me is like, it's an evolution over years. Yes, exactly. It's, it's definitely an evolution. I think that having too loud first um, and making that cartoon just taught me so much about show running and running your own crew and being the captain of the ship. Um, if I feel like if, too Loud didn't happen and Only in Scoops was my first cartoon, it would not be as good yeah. because I wouldn't have the show running experience that I learned so much about in, uh, by having Too Loud and the DreamWorks uh, project there. So maybe step one is to just create something and then move on to the next thing and then move on to the next step thing. Step one is just to think of an idea. Think of, well, th before actually even more important than the story, just think of the characters first. Yeah. All in scoops just came from two characters. I was like a cute little girl and her pet cat, and they can talk to each other, and that's th that's it. That I mean, and just grow, make it grow from there. From there, all the side characters come, uh, the supporting cast, other cats, you know, the cat world, um, the, you know, and then this, this show. There's two different. There's dual worlds. There's not just all these school, and school in the human world. There's also the cat world. Um, so, you know, they can go back and forth and that just doubles the, uh, the, uh, the chances for, for fun stories. Nice. Yeah. And you're not limited by starting with just the characters. You're not limited by them. If you started with the world instead, I guess. Yeah. Um, you know, so time, so just time and saving up is obviously going to be your, your plan for your budget. Um, and then, uh, I'm not going to say, you know, uh, make a show before your show, but having too loud first helped me with my, uh, get my crew and get the people that I work with now. Totally. Um, initially when DreamWorks TV bought too loud, they said, um, uh, now do you need a crew or do you need us to hook you up with anybody? And I was like, Nope, I'm good. I, I can, I know the people I want to work with. And they said, great. And so it was just me reaching out to a bunch of my friends. And um, if I didn't know someone who, you know, if I didn't know uh, someone who could fit, fill in a role, um, usually my friends would recommend their friends. Or if I, if we really don't know anybody, and I still do this to this day, if I need like um, a revisionist and everyone I know is busy, I'll just go on Twitter and I just put out a cold call and I'm just like, hey, I need a storyboard revisionist. Huh. Um, please, please comment here with your, um, you know, your reel or your portfolio. And then it's going through, you know, 150 portfolios and unfortunately only having to pick one person, which is really hard because they have to break 149 people's hearts. But um, that's just, you know, part of the part of the game, I guess. Um, no, so, yeah, no, totally. There, yeah. There's having few, your own crew um, is so valuable like that you could say i already know who i want to work with because you already know it's going to go well because you you know all these people yeah i think those are so those are a few tips into into starting off um mm. 
don't know. Just reach. I, I really, I'm a big proponent of working with your friends. Just reach out to your friends and be like, Hey, you want to make something cool? You know, and if they're your friends, obviously you pay them, but uh, you know, in, at the same time, you know, everyone who works on only on scoops knows that, look, we're a low budget indie thing. You know, the pay isn't going to be phenomenal, but we're all working on making something really cool. That's going to make a difference in people's lives. And that's why they agreed to do it for, you know, not tremendous pay, but right. You know, it's something. <laughs> totally. Is there anything else about Ollie or your career that you wanted to share? I also wanted to give you an opportunity to talk about CTN's cartoon crash course. If you want oh, to talk sure, about yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. We can get into that. Um, Yes, in addition to my day job and making all in scoops, I also do. Um, <laughs> well, this came out of nowhere. Um, so CTN, Creative Talent Network, um, they're a physical, they're like Comic-Con, but in Burbank, mm. like a Burbank Comic-Con. And it's yeah. sort of like a job fair. Um, it's run by Tina Price, and um, it's a big animation who's who and it's a great place to go and if, especially if you're an art student or um, any student at all uh, you go and you can get your portfolio looked at you can have one-on-ones with studio execs people who work in the business you can have a chance to pitch your ideas um, and then there's a whole bunch of booths and artists and stuff who have their own um, you know their own booths and uh stuff for sale, art books, you know, artwork, posters, stuff like that. Um, it's like a giant artist alley from um, Comic-Con, but for in Burbank. <laughs> um, so CTN has a gallery space and I, um, I am an art gallery curator on top of all this other stuff I do. Um, in Los Angeles, uh, when Meltdown Comics was around, I had art shows at Meltdown Comics since um, 2013. Um, and I've had 10 art shows over the last seven years and um, they were starting to get really big and people would show up all the time. Like, I mean, people who worked on whatever the theme was like one theme in 2015, I did a back to the future art show and Bob Gale, the screenwriter of the movie showed up what? and then um, another, another show, another show was um, uh, the Simpsons and Matt Groening showed up and um you know, it was really great doing shows and having people having to do with that theme would uh, arrive. But um, sadly, Meltdown Comics closed. Uh, so I've not had a venue for a couple of years. And then um, suddenly a year and a half ago, Tina Price from CTN approached me and she said, I loved your art shows, not only because they were fun, but like they just brought some sort of sense of um, community to like the art community in Los Angeles you know it was a great place for artists and people to get together for an evening and find out a whole bunch of cool artists and you know everybody connect and network and you know it's really fun so can you do those um can you bring those back and can you have them at the CTN gallery and I was like yay I finally have a have a venue great so um a year ago uh I did my first art show at CTN gallery it was themed around Hilda because I was working in Netflix and I'm like, oh, let's think of like Netflix ideas, maybe Netflix themed uh, stuff. So I did the Hilda show a year ago and then pandemic happened. And right. so all the art shows are on hold. Um, and so then last spring, Tina was like, well, sadly, the art shows are on hold, but how about we, um, we can still do stuff. Um, 
we have like a we have a channel a CTN channel and we have like a you know a Zoom uh, Zoom classes and seminars and stuff like that. Would you want to host one of these um, streaming shows or make up your own rather? And um, and that's where Cartoon Crash Course was born. Uh, and that's basically um, every other Wednesday. It's me and um, a couple of guests, uh, prolific people in the animation industry, a lot like what you do here with your podcast. And it's just me talking cartoons um, with them. And, uh, you know, I'll have like a couple friends of mine who are uh, storyboard artists and the theme of the show is storyboarding, you know, and then designers and I'll have, uh, uh, I'll have like um, Rob Renzetti and Craig McCracken and showrunners of their own shows come on. I had Jorge Gutierrez and um, it's really uh, great. And, and um, it costs five bucks, but um, that's so you can be there uh, for the live stream and you can, we do a Q&A and the, most of the entire show is a Q&A from the chat. So you can be a part of the chat and ask, you know, these people whatever questions you want. Um, so that's been going on since May of uh, 2020. And uh, we're still doing it right now. We, we have episodes going on until at least March. Oh, wow. Uh, we'll see beyond then. But uh, yeah, that's Cartoon Crash Course anyway. <laughs> no, that's that's amazing. And I... I... It's just for fun. Just for fun. Just for fun. You need to. What do you do? You have any spare time? That's the real question. Yeah, I do. <laughs> I make sure to have spare time, otherwise I'd go nuts. But you know, I, I again, if I have, if, if I'm, I just always found myself that I'll go crazy if I'm not like, I'm just perpetually busy because that's just the way I like it. I just yeah, like I feel being you. busy and I like working on things. I'm very much the same. Yeah. <laughs> if I have too much free time, I just. I just sit around and I mope, you know, yep. don't know what to do. I, make sure I have enough busy time. Well, I'm glad that you're using that time to create amazing resources for other people in the industry and to do some really fun stuff with Alien scoops. That's really hey, cool. Thank you. I, 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 it really feels good when, when, um, cause a lot of the audience for the CTN streams are students or young people who want to get into animation. And, um, it feels great when, I'll get an email from someone who's like, Hey, I've been watching your streams and they're just like the most inspirational thing ever. And they really kind of kicked my, it was the kick in the butt I needed to, to, you know, pursue my dreams or like work on this wow. thing I've been wanting to work on. So thank you for them. And I, I, it's really nice when I get messages like that. Yeah, that is amazing. Uh, is there, do you have any final inspirational advice on that, on that note? Um, general advice, I would say, um, this is still the best advice I've ever heard, but it's just make stuff, just get out there and make stuff, make cartoons, make films, make video, make paintings, music, or whatever your artistic choice is. It doesn't matter if it's, if you have $5 or $5,000, just make stuff because the more stuff you make, the better you'll get. And, you know, you're, you're going to make a hundred crappy drawings before you make one good drawing. Um, the, the, I made so many lousy short films during our, um, our, uh, I made so many lousy videos during our public access 
actual show days. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I made hundreds of them and a couple are okay. <laughs> and that's what matters in the, just giving yourself the experience to, to, to make things. So really? keep, 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 uh, keep that experience going and you'll make more and more great things. Well, I love that advice. And if, if somebody's listening and they are on the edge of making something, maybe they can go right after this and just make something. Sure. Cool. Well, is there, is there anything else you wanted to share or any final thoughts? I should, um, maybe you can put this in earlier when I was talking about like what inspired me or what made me get going, but or it can stay here at the end. I don't know. But I also want to give a big shout out to Channel 101. Um, uh, that was created by Dan Harmon and Rob Schraub originally, but it's still going. It predates YouTube. But um, that was another big thing here in LA that, that, um, it, the, the whole reasoning behind it is the advice that I gave, which was just to get out there, get together with people and just make stuff. <clears throat> I'm not sure if you know what channel 101, 101 is. I just Googled it and it's a nonprofit monthly short film festival in LA. Yeah. Um, uh, sadly, you know, it hasn't been live in a year because um, of the pandemic, but um, you know, it's uh, original intentions still ring true is that, um, you know, it doesn't have to cost anything. Um, if we're all here in LA or, you know, around the world and we all want to make stuff, what's stopping us from getting together and just making cool stuff. Yeah. Um, channel 101, sorry. Channel 101 is a, um, it's a monthly screening of mini TV shows and, um, they play 10 pilots and the only rule is that they can't exceed five minutes. Uh, and then the audience uh, votes for which five of the 10 shows um, is going to come back next month for episode two. Oh, wow. So it's sort of like, it's sort of like YouTube before YouTube. Um, uh, and the show can keep going as long as the audience votes for it every month. Oh man. Are there any uh, shows that have been around for years because of that? <laughs> I think the longest running show is called Car Jumper, and it's about a uh, like a MacGyver type guy who solves every problem in every episode by jumping from one moving car to another moving car. Um, and I think that one went on for like thirty something episodes, which meant thirty months. Thirty. Oh my gosh! Wow. Yeah. So like a year and a half was the longest running show. I think. No, 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 no. Two and a half years. Wow, that's incredible. Oh, okay. There, I did something similar in Kitchener when I still lived there and uh, they did a film. I don't know. I don't remember what it's called, but it was the exact same concept where the audience votes on what gets a second episode next month. Yeah. Um, my short film that I made with my friends live action got voted to be next month, but I was literally moving to Toronto that day. So oh, wow. <laughs> well, um, yeah, 101 is a great, it's uh, for years, it's been a great place to network and meet other artists just like you and the whole, you know, uh, nature of Channel 101 is to get together with people that you meet and, you know, make the next show or make the next video. Yeah, it's um, really cool. I'm sure a lot of people got their start kind of there as well. A ton of people got their start. I mean, in the early days of 101, it's like the Lonely Island got their start there. You know, Tim and Eric, like Jack Black was in a bunch of their early stuff. Um, uh, like Yacht Rock, uh, like Rick and Morty, Justin Roiland yeah. started at Channel 101. Um, like the, the, 
the prototype of Rick and Morty was a channel 101 video. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I just always loved that idea and the mentality behind 101 was just to get together and make stuff with your friends. Um, so that was a major reason I moved to LA too, because I wanted to be a part of that community. Oh, nice. Yeah. So I started going to the screenings as soon as I moved here in 2008. Um, and it was really great. I met a lot of great people and people I'm still friends with today. So that was another uh, major thing that like, you know, made me put, kick my butt into making more stuff. Yeah. Just get involved in a community that's already making stuff and exactly. you, you just have yeah. to by default. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Um, cool. Yeah. Is there, is there anything final that you wanted to share now? Um, thank you so much for, uh, Supporting Ollie and Scoops, anyone oh. watching. <laughs> Amazing. I just, got a bunch, I, just got, I just saw a fan last night uh, do like a fan art dump. They posted like six pieces of fan art. Oh my gosh, isn't that really the best when somebody makes fan yeah. art of your work? <laughs> yeah, it's really cool. <laughs> I have a folder every single, every time I see a piece of fan art, I save it to a folder. That's hilarious. You should make, you should like print them all out and uh, make a collage on your wall of it. That's yeah, awesome. in my Disney office i made a collage <laughs> i made a new loud fan art collage on when disney buys all in scoops and yeah. creates a separate building just for all in scoops production that's when <laughs> <laughs> well uh it's been an absolute pleasure and and i have to thank you for just spewing out all the information about editing and all in scoops it's been really insightful for me to hear like as a a budding creator myself. This is just, uh, I'm just eating up everything you said. So thank you so much for coming on the chat. Thank you, Terry. Yeah. And if you're listening and you want to follow Nico's work, uh, or Ollie and Scoops, obviously, you know, um, I've included links to do so in the description. And, you know, if you're looking to become a showrunner yourself, you can check out uh, his cartoon crash course, which I'll include as well. Uh, he said, you know, they focus on everything from storyboarding to voice acting. All these links are in the description. So please check those out. And that's all for now. Thank you so much for listening. Okay, bye.